Before diving into today's episode, did you know that this podcast has a supporters club? By becoming a member, you not only gain access to exclusive content, but also play a crucial role in supporting your favorite podcast. See the link in the episode description to find out more. Now, let's get back to the episode. Damn, this guy is an idiot. You know, what happened in the last eight years of Obama that caused people to just get so irresponsible with their choices? You know what I'm saying? Like, as I sit here nowadays, and I'm looking to see what he hasn't done, because he's done pretty much everything. Like, you know, this, this is crazy. This isn't making America great again. This is coming in where it seemed like things were settling. You know, not exactly the same way as Obama promised, but it was good, you know what I mean? It was a strong foundation to build off of, despite the nation being divided. This man comes in, catches everybody at their lowest, gets voted in by, you know, ill-informed people that think he's going to do for them. He's really screwing America over right now. And you know what? You're on the right show for me to describe it on. Welcome to the J-Mad Show here on G360 Radio. Hey everybody, it's good to be back for a new J-Man show. Welcome to episode 9. Now, before I get into it, I know I said last episode that I was going to go ahead and bring in an old friend to help out with today's episode, but scheduling conflicts, so I guess you're getting another solo dose of me today, which isn't so bad, because I think you all need your vitamin J for the week. Hey, and guess what? I just got on Stitcher Radio. <laughs> Talk about approvals, huh? I finally figured where I'm going with this show, you know what I'm saying? I wish I could go ahead and celebrate that news, but uh, you know what I gotta do first, right? I've been keeping a bit of a list going on what the 45th retrograde is up to. You know him as the Overcomb, or you know him as the Orange Man, or you know him as... Well, actually, I, we might as well go Sin City with this. That orange bastard. <laughs> oh, people, come on. We could have picked somebody a lot better than this. But hey, getting off topic, it's time for a Trump watch. Looking into the list, these are the things that Donald Trump has done so far. One, he has freezed federal jobs. Cutting vacancies and pay raises. Two, he's approved those controversial pipelines from Dakota Pipeline and the ill-famous Keystone XL Pipeline. He signed an anti-abortion law one day after the Women's March. My heart goes out to all of you ladies that are having to suffer with this sort of thing. And then he withdrew the U.S. from the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which was something that Obama used to go ahead and have, you know, work with our trade regarding 11 Pacific nations out there as to strengthen our ties with the Asian markets. So now he withdrew us out of it. You know, Bernie Sanders agreed to an idea of this, so... You know, in a way, they saw it as limiting American jobs, but you know what? Now that America is out of the fold, guess who the other superpower is over there? China, so you can go with that any way you want to now. And of course, he banned the EPA and the USDA from discussing to reporters about their work, which means latest findings or any sort of circumstances regarding the environment. Under his gag order now, the EPA is to suspend new business activities, awarding contracts, or grants. Pretty much, we are being blinded by this man who allegedly talks about 
biased media reporting. So in a way, he's trying to go ahead and do what he needs to do to block anybody from finding out what's going on and is causing a whole ethics uproar. And guess what? It gets better because he has finally made good on this bullshit here. That's what I should call this segment. He has signed an executive order on the border wall construction and targets the sanctuary cities where local leaders refuse to hand over illegal aliens for deportation. Yes, yes, this this whole thing right here is really making America great again. Now, I like to think on the realism of things here. This is bullshit. This is exactly what it is. This is pure bullshit. You know, I, I don't know what has gotten people so mad and thinking that this guy is their hero and this is bringing back jobs. It seems like more of a blockade than anything. Any sort of progress that was made during the Obama administration, his... Well, I can't even call it an administration. I'm going to call it by its given name, Incompetence Inc. So whenever I refer to Incompetence Inc. on this show, you know what I'm talking about. Whenever Incompetent Inc. comes into play, they are going to go ahead and try to make Obama look like a failure by undoing all the things that he proposed against. Now, I can only imagine what will happen when net neutrality gets back into the fold. Oh, yeah, this is my way to prove something to everybody by doing something different and going ahead and... Yeah, I can't talk like the guy, so I'm going to go ahead and try to be, you know, symbolic to what his BS ideas are. So if it looks like a shit emoji going on that's painted orange, there you go. Oh, yeah, this is my way to show all of you that I get it done. I'm the get it done president. Wrong. This is not how you do it, folks. I mean, the way he's going about it, yes. Does it empower America? Maybe in the short run, but in the long run of things, we're going to have to do a lot of catching up again by throwing us out of these political spectrums. You see what I'm saying? The market is not the same way it used to be back in the 80s. The old ways are no more. You got to get with it or get left behind. It's just like understanding that, yes, there are other races and cultures out there. Some that you don't understand and some that you would probably like to appropriate. But since you're not about that life and you want to shut things down, or those of you out there that think that this is your time to be racist, yeah, I feel sorry for you. I feel sorry that you have to deal with the idea of so much hate for no damn reason or on something you don't understand and have to go ahead and to choose a xenophobic man to run the White House and the federal government and have a conniption fit for everything that doesn't go his way or your way and think that that is your golden time to go ahead and pronounce your superiority, right? And practically destroy anything that makes democracy great because you feel as though that this is your God-given right. Well, it's not. And you know, if anything, you are wasting your time. And it's not right. We're all going to be screwed over in the dark because you just couldn't handle it. Diversity is a very beautiful thing. And if you didn't want to deal with us, which I should have saved for another episode, but I'm going to say it now. If you didn't want to deal with us, then long ago your ancestors shouldn't have brought certain ancestors here. But since we are here, and we're going to be here, and there's not a damn thing you can do about it, you're going to have to accept it, and you're going to have to learn how to adapt. And the idea is, with this sort of thing, some of this stuff is so unethical and so unconstitutional. When he took that oath, that was done but lies. And it's a shame. The man hasn't even had, what, near two weeks in? And all of this? This is crazy. Does he even know what that pipeline is about, now that I think about it? Does he even know how much in debt that that border wall is going to cost Americans? Because you know Mexico is not building that wall. As a matter of fact, translation, they said, fuck no, we ain't building that wall. And he wants to go ahead and work on NAFTA again, with Canada and Mexico, and Canada and Mexico were actually a part of that Pacific trade, believe it or not. So, 
as you look at this, and as you see all these things that are going on here, connect the dots, folks. We can't retrograde all the time here. We have to proceed. We have to move forward. And any sort of moving forward is turning ass backwards once again because of this. Old Thin Skin has lost his damn mind. Now, I don't think it's before or after he swore on that Bible and maybe... Maybe ethics is trying to get all up in there and destroy whatever sort of little brain cells he got, but this is crazy. Just being a man-child about it. And, oh yeah, I, I heard about his whole tough talk against those corporations, you know, to keep them in America, keep America man, stuff like that. You're going to have to understand this, right? Okay. He's doing that, and some of these companies are feeling as though they have to follow his whim because it would make them look bad to the consumers. See, Donald Trump loves that Twitter. He loved that Twitter so much that he tried to shut down the Obama's Twitters as soon as he got his empowered. You know what I'm saying? The difference between me and him is, is this. See, I would use my social media to build networks, to you know get my company out there, or go ahead and find somebody else's company, promote somebody else that's fledging but needs the extra help, you know, possibly free of charge until they start getting a little bit. And then there's, you know, the trade agreement. Then there's working together. And it's all because of networking and talking to somebody. But the thing with Donald Trump is he uses Twitter as a weapon. He uses it to harass people. He uses it to write all this unethical things. You know, I don't know whether he thinks that that's his way to keep in touch with the people that he has absorbed into his cult of personality, for lack of better words. But the idea is this, is that the way he goes about doing this stuff, it is completely immoral. And it doesn't make any sense, especially when we are supposed to be Gee, I don't know, the United States of America? When I started being of the age to work, right? I never once had a problem with somebody of, of a different descent than I am getting a job over me, you know what I'm saying? Because they have the skills that I don't. So you know what I did to be competitive? I stopped bitching and learned those skills so that I can use them for my own. It's kind of like, you know, what education should be about. You're supposed to learn these things, different cultures and, you know, different aspects so that you're able to function in this global market. If you're only able to function in just an American market, it's, there is no just American market anymore. And even if it is out there somewhere, because I'm sure I could be wrong about this, and I'm allowed to be, it's probably small null and void, and might have things in there that are made by China, or Indonesia, or any country out there who are actually specializing in using their raw materials to make these things. You know, Pepsi's not American anymore, it's global. You know, the same thing with Coca-Cola, the same thing with a lot of these companies. And they might never come back, and even if those jobs did come back, they wouldn't last long for us. A lot of us... You know, what happened was there had to been a freeze going on during the Bush administration where people just weren't retiring and they just weren't moving on with their lives. And then there was the whole, you know, not giving people raises. This stuff was there. And now that you got Donald Trump in there and Donald Trump's all about money, I guess. Everybody's like, oh, he's a businessman. He's a businessman. He's a businessman. Let me tell you something. The man had four bankruptcies. And not only that, while he was campaigning, right, one of his um, casinos had issues and it was the Taj Mahal Casino back in New Jersey. And that issue is still going on. So I can only imagine where you all were brainwashed. No, well, not all of you. Some of you paid attention as much as I did. Because, you know, honestly, Donald Trump ain't going to do for somebody like me. Because I'm still in the working class. Now, if it's somebody who's rich or up there at that upper level, oh, they're going to be fine. 
or if you married into the family, you're going to be fine. But for those of us here at the working class that had to bring home, you know, our 200 to $300 net pay, you know what I mean? And I'm just using random figures, but you know, around that much to go ahead and try to get ourselves together and hold tight until the next pay week rolls around. He don't give a shit about that. He don't know anything about that. He never had to work like that. You gotta know the background of the people that you elect into these positions, especially if they're the face of the nation. And he's the face of the nation. A long time ago, you know, I wouldn't mind if it was the Donald Trump that was still in New York. I wouldn't have to put up with him. But you know, now that it's the Donald Trump that is the 45th president of this country, and it doesn't look good. We could we could have all have done better. And nowadays, oh, this is making America great again by making America <laughs> making America isolated. By building a wall that would cost around like 15 to 20 trillion to put us in debt. You know who's paying for that fucking wall? The working class. Those of us that want to retire at a certain age or move on with our lives or we're already in a dead end job that don't go nowhere. You know what I'm saying? And we're barely making that amount. Sure, you're going to talk about the jobs that he's bringing back. And that's a quote on that because that can go away anytime. You got to stop thinking in the short term and you got to stop thinking in hindsight. And then you got to also stop thinking in terms of cart before the horse. You know, you, you got to think about this. What new trade can you learn? What other skill set do you have for the rest of your time? See, I'm primarily a filmmaker, but I also had to look into different mediums too. You see what I'm saying? And there are also other things because I probably won't stay in film that long. I'll probably go into another career along the road. Because I have other interests, but, you know, it seems like people complain about those manufacturing jobs, those labor jobs, I, nothing against them or anything. But, you know, when I did my documentary of Which Way Was Up, there were a significant amount of jobs that wouldn't even be available anymore due to the lack of raw materials, due to finite resources. Like, if anything, America needs to get away from oil. We need to get away from foreign oil and utilize alternative fuel sources, but hey, I guess that's a thing of the past now because of these damn pipelines. See, the thing is, is this, folks. Know what you... Not even know what. Yeah, because I can't really call Donald Trump a person. But I want to say this much. Know who you voted for. You know what I'm saying? Really take the time to study your candidates. Study these people so that we won't be shoehorned into something like this because this is going to take a while to fix. And not to mention, like, some of the tidings that we have with certain countries and stuff. Does he know that he has to be diplomatic about these things? Does he know that? If he does, well, please let me know on the Twitter at J360Productions. Oh, I wouldn't mind. You know what I mean? I wouldn't mind if he said something. It still wouldn't change the fact that the man has been pretty much saying one thing, doing another, and selling that snake oil. And needless to say, Jay is not fooled by the snake oil. And until he starts acting more presidential and being more di diplomatic as like how number 44 was back in the day, the man had class despite all the hell thrown at him from people left and right. And you don't see him complaining about biased media, so what's this guy's excuse? He's 70 years old. I don't see him ever changing. He's so set in his ways and so all about his life because the thing about it is, all he was was in his tower up there in New York. You know what I'm saying? Or had his little reality show that, you know, after a while, people got friggin' tired of. And it was to the point where, you know, it started becoming Celebrity Apprentice rather than, you know, The Apprentice. 
So at the end of the damn day, this doesn't prove anything to me. It just goes to show that, you know, even though somebody says something that you wanted to hear, doesn't mean it works out for everybody. That's politics in general. But it also means this. It doesn't mean that it's the thing you need. You need something better. And, th and this, is, this is the result of all of those ill-informed who soaked into this and put him in office. So now we're going to have to grit and bear it, but I'm not rallying behind him. Not at all. He doesn't even have his title, really, from me. I'm just saying the title as courtesy to all of you. And if you got to pick a side in this thing and stand for a cause, the best way to stand for a cause on all of this is just be like this. Resist. Especially you ladies out there. You, you all have it kind of rough now. Like, there were times where some of the third-wave feminists out there have went a little too far and harassed certain people just because they did things that were different or seemed offensive to them, all that micro-triggering, you know, all those sort of things. But it's not peacetime no more, y'all. Obama is gone. This is Donald Trump now. This is all that stuff you've been talking about, about a angry, xenophobic white man being in office causing trouble. Well, guess what this year's all about? And he's sitting right there in office, and I don't see too much of third-wave feminism causing any or saying anything right now. Except for maybe the Women's March, but then again, there were more all of you united, and that was cool. You know what I mean? Because you were for an actual cause, and you weren't harassing normal people doing their job trying to get where they need to go. I'm not shaming you. What I'm saying is is that all that stuff you were talking about, those um, last four years of Obama, because that's when thing really came to a head. This is your time now. To be honest with you, though, got to do this stuff tactfully. Can't just be as crazy as him, you know what I'm saying? We have to carry on, and we have to be strong about this. I didn't say concede, and I didn't say rally behind him. Nope, two different things. Like I said before, as soon as he starts acting presidential... Then he can get his respect from me. But until then, no. He ain't got my respect. But moving on into the episode. The real topic of this show, however, is the reason why that this Trump watch was a little extended. Kind of like last episode. Because whenever you're working on something in media or just trying to coast through life in general, there's always executive meddling. And today we're going to take a good look at that, because say like as if you're creative like me or anybody else out there who are trying to get their point across in radio, TV, and film, and the thing is we have such good stories to write, and we have everything set in play, we have the right actors, we have the right associates with us, but then, you know, there's the primary investor of the studio you're working for, because, you know, there's different types of filmmakers. There's independence where you call the shots, but you have lack of resources in some areas. And then there's being a studio filmmaker where you are the filmmaker for the studio and you kind of have to do what they say. To a point. To a point. Well, that little scenario when the executives come down there and they pretty much try to take over your stuff is called executive meddling. And this goes hand in hand with licensing and it also goes in hand with poor communication. Now, I'm sure a lot of you have seen some bad movies that have came out over the years, and I'm sure a lot of you are tired of reboots, and I'm sure a lot of you are tired of superhero films. Well, believe it or not, all of them have something in common. There's always somebody at the top trying to ruin somebody's creative vision. Or at least control it for marketing purposes. But don't get it twisted, though. Just because they wear suits doesn't mean that they're all evil. Just 75% maybe. <laughs> well, you know, what do you think happens when you have to follow the cash? 
they're in it mostly like you to make money. Some people have that artistic vision and it's so good, but it doesn't go anywhere. There's that market appeal that you have to satisfy. You have to satisfy a lot of things when you're in media. And I mean, any kind of media at best, there's still that market appeal. Now, that's not to say that your idea probably sucks. Oh, far from it. But it's making it relatable for the almighty dollar. You know what I'm saying? And you'll be surprised that there are plenty of significant movies out there that were screwed by the network. And just for a main example, we're going to take a look at 20th Century Fox's handling of the X-Men universe. But before we get into that topic, there's an issue I want to talk about. Going back to last episode, I gave you all a J360 question of the week. I hated it. To be honest with you, it was too broad. And I apologize, you know? I shouldn't be treating my audience like that and making them, um... <laughs> giving them such a broad term because there's a lot of great movies that are coming out in 2017. Even if you have superhero fatigue, there are still some pretty good films that came out. I would talk about the M. Night Shyamalan movie that came out, but I haven't seen it yet. So, you know, I'm going to go ahead and whittle it down, and I went ahead and rephrased the question. So we're going to go ahead and do the question on this episode instead. So your J360 question of the week is, what upcoming movie are you mostly looking forward to for February and March. Is it Lego Batman, Fifty Shades Darker, Logan, or Kong Skull Island? And by doing this in increments, it'll be a lot easier for you all to come together. And I will address the final rankings on this in episode 10. Since I've last checked, Logan's leading the pack at 46%. And that movie looks something fierce, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is the Wolverine I wanted. Sure, the tone was there in THE Wolverine, but, you know, for, um, Logan... It's like the most beautiful send-off ever. So I can't wait to see how this all unfolds, especially with X-23 in the fold now. And speaking of the X-Men in general, the pilot got greenlit for an X-Men series. So hopefully that the actual X-Men core team that has been sorely missing in the latest installments of the films, hopefully we'll finally get something good out of this pilot and maybe we'll get that X-Men team. <laughs> maybe we'll get that X-Men team I always wanted on screen. Know what I'm saying? Like the perfect reboot. Now, honestly, I know how some people are like, hey, let's keep it all connected, you know, like how the MCU does. See, the MCU is so good that sometimes it can get kind of chaotic to kind of keep things together. Like, if you think about it, what's on ABC and what's on Netflix, you know, sometimes the sharing universe can be a bit much. I'm not saying that it couldn't be done, but there are continuity woes. There's some loopholes somewhere. And, you know, given, that that's what happens. I mean, they're not so wide, they're there anyway. And it goes for, like, the X-Men universe, however. You know, it has a floating timeline. Much like how the comics do. I would like to see this series get made, you know what I mean? At least see the pilot, and at least see it go to series. Because I remember back in the day, they tried to do one for Generation X, and, well, it just didn't work. But I do know, like, this, this could have a chance. And as it does... I'd like to see it be its own continuity and try to get things involved, you know, to get that interest going. You know, kind of like how the animated series was. I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing a whole new Wolverine in general outside of Hugh Jackman, you know what I'm saying? And be like, no, this is in its own universe, its own continuity, and it just can do what it wants to do, you know what I mean? It doesn't have to stick with the storylines of the films. Because, you know, the films are, well, depending on what, who you ask. The films are decent, but sometimes, you know... Wolverine is given the full focus. I would have loved to see a Cyclops and Havoc movie. I would have liked to seen 
and you know Gambit be a part of that team. I'd like to see Rogue become badass Rogue in addition to being Rogue. You know what I'm saying? I'd like to see a little bit more done. The only thing is, is that you have too many mutants to use, and you only have two hours of a movie to deal with. Unless you are talking X-Men Apocalypse, which a lot of things were underused at best. You know what I'm saying? And that's kind of the only only problem I had with it. It was slow, and sometimes it was uneven. It would have been nice if Wolverine had more of a role in that, you know, because they could have played with that a little bit more. But then again, that cameo was, you know, give, depending on who you ask, was decent. You know what I mean? And at least there was parts from the comic in there with that mask that he had on. Looked just like that helmet from the comics. And, you know... Talking about it now, I kind of want to take out some of my old X-Men comics and just read through them again. But, hey, it's up in the air to see what Fox does with this. Because they've been doing a little bit better now. I mean, there's going to be a new Mutants movie coming. So, I'm amped for that. There's going to be... Well, I don't think Mr. Sinister is going to appear in this Logan movie. But then again, we don't need him. We got a whole lot of other stuff going on right now. I don't think we really need him at this point. I mean, that we are fighting with his company, but hopefully that'll probably be in Deadpool 2 or something resolved there. And then Deadpool 2 is supposed to set up new mutants anyway, so... It's still up in the air on the X-Men universe. But, like, there's so many gaps in the X-Men universe, though. They can do pretty much whatever they want to do. But I would really love to see that series on its own track. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like how, like, the new Star Trek series is going to be on its own track and everything else. You know, it's just, that's the way it should be in some cases. And, you know, it gives a little bit more creative freedom, which is what the DCEU is running into. And, you know, speaking of which, does the Flash movie have a director at this point? Because, you know, it seems like that movie has been running into a lot of problems. And I don't know if I covered this last episode or not. No, I just go with the flow. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm sure I probably touched base on it, but, I, you know, it's just questionable to me, like, why that doesn't have, you know, a director at this point. You gotta get these people locked in, unless you're gonna go ahead and postpone the movie until 2019, which I don't see as a problem, but still, you know, if the DC TV universe is doing fine, because they're well within their own game, then the DCEU universe can do just as fine, too, with less executive meddling. <laughs> In case you thought I forgot about what the topic was, yep, all of that was leading to this point about executive meddling as far as the movies go. I just wonder if it's too big at the top to where they won't allow these people to create these films if they don't want to. Or you could wonder if that Warner Brothers is trying so hard to catch up to Marvel that it's just... Well, actually, it's Warner Brothers and Disney... You know, trying so hard to catch up to them by churning out these movies with no growth and no establishment. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, they got an eight-year lead over them. I mean, they're not going to catch up anytime soon, no matter how many times they try to executive metal and going ahead and just pretty much be a boat with no rudder. Actually, it's an all-day conversation about... You know, it's an all... Actually, it's an all-day conversation about the DCEU and quite a bit of its mess-ups. So, instead of just picking fun at them, let's go ahead and take a look at some other films that have been screwed by the network. Some that you probably even know about. And you would be surprised to know of. 
Now, if you want to go back on DC Comics in general, the Superman franchise, even with Christopher Reeve's time, has been a victim of executive meddling. Like, a long time ago, Richard Donner was the director of the first film and the second film. They were being filmed back-to-back. Well, at some point, halfway into the second film, he got fired because the producers didn't want, you know, this to be a big-budgeted thing. They wanted it to be something cheap, something, you know, lukewarm. Kind of like the Batman series back in the 60s, you know what I mean? They wanted something campy. Whereas Richard Donner respected the legacy of the character and brought about that great epic of the first and the second one. And then when they brought in the new director, nobody wanted to work with him. So that's why Superman 3 and 4 are now in void and are so different in tone. If anything, it's kind of similar to what Warner Brothers did with um, Tim Burton during the uh, Keaton films. They didn't want it to be that dark. They wanted to still have that family-friendly atmosphere. And when Joel Schumacher came in, not only was it that, it got too campy where it couldn't save itself. And even that franchise had to be on ice. So more of history repeats itself. Oh, but little did you realize, you know, Richard Donner, right, is married to Lauren Sholin Donner, who actually is head of production over there in Fox. So the lines are connected. You know, it's just crazy to see how this all goes down. And Superman Returns, believe it or not, you know, sometimes I think he gets a bad rep, but, you know, the third act in Superman Returns is really why I didn't care for the movie. You know, it's just whatever. But, but believe it or not, before it became what it was, the producer John Peters had a lot of these changes. He didn't want Superman to fly or wear his iconic tights. Originally, the film, the villain of the film was to be Brainiac, and he wanted him to have a homosexual lisp and a robot sidekick who would be a gay R2-D2 with an attitude. You can't make this up. He had a choice of Sean Penn to play as Superman. And he wanted Superman to be an ordinary human being that got powers from his suit. Because the suit was to be a living being. Does that sound familiar to you? That sounds a lot like Venom, doesn't it? Uh, but you know what, also, it's on record that John Peters doesn't like comic books. So, you know, it, it, it's just strange, you know, that, that you have producers like this that have this idealism of these characters. And it was so bad for Superman Returns, or I should say pre-Superman Returns, because this is before Superman Returns became what Brian Singer made it into. So, you gotta give him some credibility even though the man can make one good X-Men movie and then come back and make a whatever the hell X-Men Apocalypse was. But the thing is, is that Kevin Smith even backed out of it. Now, you know his whole thing about comics and comic book men. Now, despite some of my views against Kevin Smith, the thing is, the man does know his comics. So, like, he wanted to write the screenplay in 97, but he backed out because... Those demands from John Peters were just outrageous. And of course, an infamous one, I remember covering this back on Fridays at J360 when that was still a show. Highlander 2 The Quickening. Production ran late, over budget, insurance company took over, and they made numerous changes. And that includes the Immortals backstory and making two fight scenes merge together. It is something when you lose control of your production... And the insurance company takes over. And if you have ever seen one cut of Highlander 2 The Quickening, you can't really take it seriously. 
The only thing you can do is just laugh at the movie or just sit back and watch it when you got nothing else to watch on a Saturday. But you know, truth be told, timing is everything on a film set. You know, you gotta get it ready so it can get to its post-production, and then when post-production happens, you know, get it ready for that final cut. Like, this time, you gotta get that marketed so people can see it. It's all about time, and time is money. So, in that case, you know, your own actors can screw you over. Because The Island of Dr. Marauld was a perfect premise for a film, and the director behind it, it was his pet project. You know what I mean? Well, not pet project, dream project, I should say. Because he always wanted to do one. And he got screwed over by Val Kilmer, because Val Kilmer wasn't reliable for the film. And then the director got fired, earning the wrath of other supporting characters. And the movie was just a complete mess. That's why when you look at it, there are some things that are completely out of tone. And then there are some other things that just... Ugh. I think Alien 3 is a victim of executive meddling because, well, the script was trash. And they killed off principal characters from the previous film. And... Oh, God. It's coming back to me about Alien 3. Why did I bring that up? Well, like, yeah, I know why. Because six six or so directors walked off of that film. And the guy who managed to finish the project, you got to give him some credibility on what he was working with. Because it was at a point, they didn't know what they were doing every day. So they were really just running through the motions with it, you know? So all that you were seeing there, possibly from Act 2 to Act 3, was that best improv. Good improv, mind you, but... That's why it's such an uneven film. Uh, And also, I want to go ahead and take a look at a significant one. I always bring up Spider-Man 3 because, you know, to me, it was just one of those... One of those lost kind of movies. Like, when it came out, I didn't like it. I thought the original premise of it being, like, the negatives of Spider-Man, you know? Him in the black suit. I thought that was great. I think I may have covered this on another episode. So if I did, I apologize. But it's still a firm example of executive meddling. Because when they try to shoehorn Venom in that film because of marketing appeal, Avia Rad did that. Sam Raimi didn't want any of the symbiote characters in the Spider-Man films at this point. And all that stuff was just so packed in. And it was just like, oh, just ridiculous. You know what I'm saying? And then you can blame the evil Peter Parker scenes all you want, but they were just camp. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was one of them things you couldn't take serious. And, well, if anything to blame, it was Sony on this. And Sony caused such a mess that, you know, Sam Raimi was trying to look at different scripts for the fourth Spider-Man movie. There was going to be a fourth one. But Sony was on a time clock, and he didn't like any of the scripts that were there. So he left the franchise. And, you see, they had to hurry up and get another franchise going. Otherwise, it was going to go back to Marvel Studios. (laughs) So that's why we had the Amazing Spider-Man 2 franchise. Or maybe you could just call it a mini mini bite at best. Because it was only two. You know what I'm saying? And even then, Spider-Man, the Amazing Spider-Man 2 wasn't all that great anyway. Well, with all the cuts and uneven and just, just... It was so bad that even Andrew Garfield said that he didn't care for that film. And they were willing to fire him to find another guy. Mm-hmm. This is stuff that you have to look up sometime, folks. It's It's hilarious. They wanted to do a Spider-Verse story so bad that when you saw all those scenes of the Sinister Six stuff, they were going to go ahead and do a Sinister Six movie with no Spider-Man involvement whatsoever. Like, that whole thing is just a void of what could have happened, but you're so glad it didn't happen, you know? 
And eventually there would be a movie with supervillains in it, united as a team, and it's called Suicide Squad, and even then, executive meddling messed with that too. Just too much going on. But at least Spidey manages to get a rebirth of sorts because now he's well within his right universe and he has a movie coming out this year. So, big props on that. I, You know, I'm very particular about it because Spider-Man is my favorite hero. You know, I like all the other ones, but I just relate to Spidey more. And, of course, you know, there are some films that do improve from executive meddling because sometimes... Having a creative impulse on things and doing what you need to do, sometimes you forget about little things such as you're making this movie for an audience, you're making this movie within the time frame that you're allowed to make it in so that you can go ahead and get it out there and produced. You're making this movie based on the time clock of the studios because the studios are putting a lot of money in on you. So in a way, they're just doing it to make sure that you get it done. It's kind of like you know fighting your way in the editing room because they have an editing lab that you use. You know what I'm saying? It's not like when you're independent, you get a lot of freedom when you're independent, but when you're a studio filmmaker and you're working well with the studio, you know, you want to be on that clock. You want to be doing what you got to do. You want to earn, you know, your salary for the day, especially if you're above the line. You know what I'm saying? And the whole point of it all is you can handle it if you know how to communicate with people. And if they know how to listen, and then you have to make them listen. Because nobody knows this better than Glumio del Toro. Or, well, him and a lot of other directors out there. But mostly Glumio del Toro because a lot of things that they tried to do... Executive Medellin tried to destroy Pan's Labyrinth. And Pan's Labyrinth is a good movie. Like, if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. It, it is amazingly done. But all of those creature features and... The location of where it takes place at. He had to fight to keep that. And he had to fight to keep Hellboy as a demon. Because what they were going to do was make Hellboy into a regular human. That has to change into Hellboy when he's angry. They were going to make him like a Hulk-like character. But being Galimio del Toro, he stood to his guns. And he made that movie the way it was intended to be. And I love both Hellboy films. And I hope that there's a third one coming. Allegedly, he wants to make one, but he's going to need our help to do it. So he might crowdfund for it, I guess. I don't know, per se. I need to go ahead and check my sources on that. But, yeah. It's just amazing to see, like, all these movies that people talk about and they say they're uneven. Well, you know, the thing is, it might have been destroyed by executive meddling in some cases. There's a lot of films to go through on here. There's a whole listing of them. So, like, do a web search for, like, executive meddling in filmmaking, and you will see some significant stories. And believe it or not, Daredevil's Elektra wasn't supposed to survive. You see what I'm saying? But Fox saw some potential in Jennifer Garner's version of Elektra, so that's how the Elektra movie got made. And they wanted to... And they did some significant cuts to... And they did some significant cuts to Matt Murdock's backstory and his legal career... And if that ending didn't make any sense to you, because they cut that. So, (laughs) once again, you know, for all of its faults, I thought the Daredevil movie was a fun action film. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wasn't going to hold it to the mythos like anything, because obviously they weren't going through the motions with this sort of thing. I mean, they had... They had Colin Farrell in there with a bullseye on his forehead. 
couldn't take the movie serious then. Even when he killed the guy with the safety pins. I, I couldn't take the movie serious. So at that certain point when um, Ben Affleck was just doing the best he could to play as Matt Murdock. The suit looked pretty cool. But like when I look at the Daredevil series on Netflix, however, any sort of um, backlash that I could throw at anybody for being in that Daredevil 2003 movie is gone now because the real Daredevil's on Netflix. You know what I'm saying? Even though I think um, Ben Affleck does a pretty good job playing as superheroes too. Yeah, I ain't got a problem with him anymore. Yep. A lot of people went ahead and bitched about him being Batman, but you know, eventually he proved everybody wrong, and I'm glad about that. Much like in the same way that um, that Green Lantern movie, which was supposed to be the top seller, united everybody in terms of hate. Because everybody hated that movie. <laughs> oh, man. And you can throw anything up there made by Ridley Scott. I mean, that man has faced quite a bit of executive meddling. Two of his significant films I know of are Legend and Blade Runner. Some go into trouble production phase, believe it or not. And trouble production will just serve for another episode. Because, you know, you'll always have problems on set. I don't care. If it's a big budget feature film, you're going to have problems on set. You just got to be aware of them. So we're only talking about one of them right now. But in terms of executive meddling, like, he had to go off a little bit differently for Blade Runner. So if you ever find, like, the director's cut for any of these films, you know, go look at them. But, yeah, like, Blade Runner, however, they managed to cut out the scene where... Deckard and Rachel were riding off into the end of the night. They were going to drive off together. So that that obviously was changed into something else. And then there was supposed to be a moment where Deckard was to be a replicant himself. You know, but they never really specified what it, so they made it ambiguous. I'm glad they did that. I know that the new Blade Runner is coming out soon. And I forgot to put it on the list. Well, it'll be there in time. <laughs> But you know, like, despite it all, I'm glad that that movie got made for what it did. It did get a lukewarm response, though, when it first came, but I'm glad as age came to it, it's still a pinnacle of sci-fi cinema. And you know what? Since we are running out of time in the show, I'm going to have to cut it here for executive meddling. But don't you worry about it, though. We're going to touch base on this again sometime. Well, actually, you know what? Since i got a few more minutes in the show, I'm going to tell you how to handle it. Here's how you handle executive meddling. Communicate with them. Stand your ground about this movie you're producing. You're already making adjustments, you know, to the budget. When you broke down the screenplay, or you work with the line producer that did break down the screenplay, you always have an option of different alternatives on how to achieve your film and how to achieve that original tone. Yeah, you're going to have to compromise on some things, but some things hold steadfast too. If it's a superhero film about a demon... Let the character be a demon. You can make it a humanoid demon, but let the character be a demon. Like, I take a look at that Ghost Rider film, the first one. Not talking about the second one. The second one, I don't even own it. You know what I mean? I disown that. But the first one, however, you know, if Blackheart's supposed to be a demon in that, let him be a demon in it. You know what I'm saying? Sure, you can have him human for, like, the first half, but progressively show that demon side and let the final battle be something all out, you know? After a while, it just felt more like um, a generic movie with Nick Cage in it. But also, how you fight this is is that you have all your notes and you have all your stuff together. So when those executives come here and try to tell you about these things or tell you that you're running out of time, make sure that you are organized so your organization can beat their organization because you can go ahead 
and you can fight the system and win as you got your shit together. You just got to have it together and you just got to communicate and stick to your guns on what's important to get that look together. Because it is your film. Now, usually they say, well, you know, listen to what they say, do one for them and one for you. Well, you see, even if you are doing your dream project, you can get fired from it, as I presented in my Dr. Merald example earlier. And the Superman movies. You can get fired off of your dream project. Your job is to be responsible, know what you're doing, create, but at the same time, remember your schedule and keep following through it. And the only thing is you're going to have adverse effects with either your actors being sick, your location not being cleared, uh, weather. There's so many things, but you should always have your stuff lined up to where you can make your movie. And when you are talking to those executives, you show them your dallies, a.k.a. your rushes, and show them what you got together for your rough cut. That way, so, you got something together. And sometimes, to save face, they do go ahead and do that director's cut sort of thing, because, you know, you might get the rights back from it a little bit, and you'll have it, like, that's their gift to you for that director's cut. So you go ahead and take that director's cut and put it on home release, but that's the only problem. No director's cut ever makes it to the theatrical release, you know, in the first point and the first part of its theatrical run. You know what I'm saying? It's only after it goes to like one of the smaller theaters out here or one of those other cult theaters that love to present the full on director's cut. And that's well within a special time after years of the film being produced. So that's about the most that you'll ever get of your original vision being shown. So it's kind of it's kind of hokey in some regards, but the best way to fight executive meddling is how I presented it earlier. By having all your stuff together, being organized, knowing the film that you're going to make, being aware of the budget but not being bound by the budget, doing what you got to do, presenting it, and making sure that they market and sell that damn thing. Do not give an inch at all. Because you know why? You can meddle the executives if you want to. Stand your ground in your films. Stand your ground in your art anyway. Because in the end, we of the audience, we're going to go see it anyway. Especially if it's something that appeals to us. So that being said, that's all the time left in the J-Man show today. I'd like to thank all of you for being out here and hearing me complain and moan about a bunch of things. <laughs> At least for the ninth episode, you know. And I also want to give a special shout-out to somebody that gave me a shout-out in one of their episodes. Big thanks to the Buffet Boys. Pretty good show you got going on over there, guys. But make sure that you keep it clean. And I mean keep it clean by keeping it honest. <laughs> uh, outside of all that, though, I want you all to take care of yourselves. Come back in for episode 10. Because I don't know how this series managed to make all these marks right now. But I'd like to thank every single one of you for giving me that fighting chance to get this far. So episode 10, next week, and I'll address the question of the week, and I'll give you a new one then. So I'll see you all later, alright? This is Jay signing off. Peace out. <laughs>